Are you tired of people only telling you what you want to hear and not what you need to hear? Me too. I'm Lauren Lahav, and for the last 30 years, I've been blessed to speak to thousands of people around the world and share the stage with some of the world's biggest thought leaders. The Get Real podcast is my way of breaking down the BS of the filters of what we say and what we do. Real life, real issues, real solutions. Trust me when I tell you, it wasn't always like that for me. And I'm excited to help you through sharing what has worked for me, but most importantly, what didn't work for me. In the world of political correctness and living our lives on social media, what is real? In my life, I always look to people who understand what I'm going through and are willing to be real with me to help me move through it. With this podcast, I want to be that person for you. Whether it's just us or I bring in one of my friends, I promise these episodes will make a difference in your life. So strap in, hang on tight, and let's get real. And now it's time to get into the podcast. Here's Lauren. Welcome to Get Real and Stay True. Lauren Lahav here. Excited for you to hear from one of my favorite people. I, I say that a lot, but I do have some a lot of favorite people because they're the first guests on this show because I want to share them with the world. And Annie Fonte, we've known each other for oops, more than two and a half decades, I believe. And you have always been such a mentor for me. I look at it, I'm like, I want to be like her one day. <laughs> always, always just in your elegance and your grace and your badassness and everything. It's kind of like you, to me, exemplify badass and beautiful. You really do. That's what you exemplify. And I know you have your own um, podcast as well that talks about that too, the um, you can talk a little bit about that, but let's talk about you. Like if you could give your backstory of how you got started. I think we met when you were doing, uh, when I, when I first met you, you were pretty tough. You're pretty intense. You know, <laughs> I gotta be honest. You scared me a little bit when I first met you, but I like that. Like I thought like this part of you that, you know, in your presence, you just, there's this strength, this, this certainty. I mean, I was in my twenties. And um, I remember just really looking for female role models back then. And it was hard to find women that really just, no matter what, that they set those boundaries about things. And you and Kate were those type of women for me, um, as well as Becky. But I would love to know a little bit more about your backstory, if you wouldn't mind sharing that with everybody. And then we'll get into some of the questions you asked me. You know, I don't really send out questions in advance. I kind of like to go with the flow and see where it takes things. I think both you and I are about flow. So let's Great. love to have your backstory. Okay. Well, first of all, Lauren, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. And uh, your your words of uh, appreciation for our relationship are meaningful to me on a very deep level because it's a, it's a chaotic world out there. And to have relationships that were curated uh, two decades ago, over two decades ago, that have still held the test of time is, I think, saying something. So thank you for that. A little bit about my backstory. I was born on a farm in northeastern Colorado and spent my first 17 years there. So I spent a lot of time on John Deere tractors and driving trucks and semis and whatnot. And I have to say, I'm so grateful for that upbringing because it taught me so much about the cycle of life and nature and the appreciation for seasons. And when I left at 17, I actually uh, was on a 
athletic scholarship and went to a uh, school in Kansas called Fringe University, where I played sports for a couple of years. And then unfortunately, because I started with a bad knee injury in high school, I ended up having to have surgery and giving up my identity as an athlete. And the good news is I was also a fairly good student. So my athletic scholarship transferred into an academic one. And uh, once I left um, undergrad, I went to work for a bank and I was in the marketing area for in the bank for quite a few years. And after that, I went to work for one of the bank's customers, a fellow named Jack DeBoer, who started the Residence Inn Company, which was the first uh, studio hotel concept in the country and worked with him until Marriott bought the company from him. And I stayed on with Marriott where I moved to Boston and did land acquisition for Marriott Hotels until I decided one day as I was driving around kicking dirt and looking for hotel sites that anybody could do this and I wanted to do something more with my life. And so I pulled into Harvard Business School and picked up an application and said, (laughs) okay, let's see if I can do this. And uh, filled that out in four I don't know how it happened, but I'm grateful it did. I was accepted and I uh, attended Harvard Business School for two years, graduated from there and came out here to San Diego and worked for a startup company that was in the healthcare um, industry. And I was the assistant to the president. And unfortunately, at the very young age of 39 with three daughters and a beautiful wife, he was diagnosed with cholangeal carcinoma of the liver and he passed away not too long after that. And once he left the company, the culture changed, and I really didn't want to be involved at that point. So that's about the time I met my current business partner, Kate. And Kate and I have a physical therapy and wellness practice here in San Diego. And in between time, we did things like invent neorthosis and posture software, and we traveled all over the world and did continuing education courses. And somewhere along there, I um, encountered another business partner of mine. Um, who was doing the billing in our physical therapy practice. And she and I um, created the technology that is called SnapSaver, the no-brainer container that eventually Rubbermaid Corporation licensed from us. And so if you have any Rubbermaid in your, quote, Tupperware drawer that has red lids and the lids snap to the bottom of the bowl and all the lids snap together, that's the technology that we created. And, uh, and recently, after um, going through some life experiences, I decided that I wanted to redesign my life and reinvent myself a bit. So I've um, created some online and live courses that uh, I've been really excited about the last several years. And I've, I've learned, I've discovered a lot about myself going through that process. So that gets us current. I haven't done anything. I'm so sorry that you've just kind of led such a boring life. It's so sad. <laughs> Well, let's go back. I mean, because I didn't know the whole story with regards to it. I, you know, I just got back from my 35th high school reunion. And um, as I was there, I was taking a couple of friends of mine around, you know, and uh, Christy and a couple, we didn't go everywhere, but I was talking about that. My mom moved us to the country when I, and we lived on it. We had a, we basically had a football field right? And we had our own street. It was awesome. It was great. But I was a little girl and it was 45 minutes each way. And I was like, oh my gosh, like, and it felt like forever. My mom would always say, instead of saying we're going to school or we're going somewhere, she would always say, we're going on an adventure. So she would like like, what it felt like because it felt like forever, right? Every single day going to school. But it's interesting. One of my favorite (laughs) memories was riding, riding the trailer, you know, the tractor around. Right going in the field and just like going for it and like 
cutting it up out there with regards to, but I, what, what do you think that you learned by growing up on a farm what, that are real life skills that have helped you, you know, move on and create the things that you've created? What do you think some of the life skills are for you that you've learned from that? Well, I, I was so fortunate. I was raised with two brothers and all my cousins were boys. And so I was surrounded by boys. And uh, to this day, I love boys and men so much, but it, you know, they're wired differently than we girls are. And my dad was, he was, um, he was kind of a rough customer, but he taught us the appreciation of the land and we had cattle and he taught us the appreciation of taking good care of your animals and taking good care of your things. And I learned so much about the seasons, as I mentioned earlier, where during the spring and summer, you work really hard and you put a lot of effort into whatever it is you're endeavoring to do. In our case, it was growing a successful wheat crop. And then wintertime came and the cattle took over. But I liken that to our lives. We have seasons in our lives where we might be in a project like you just finished a book, I just finished a book, you've just finished your planners and your IM card project, where that's a season. And you know, if you can, if you can stay focused on that, that's a season you're going through. And on the other side of that, there'll be a respite. There'll be the winter time where you'll get to take a break from that. But um, that was one of the things I learned. And I think the other thing that I learned is just the appreciation for nature and what it can teach us. I spend a lot of time in nature. I'm fortunate to have a really nice property where I can keep my uh, horses close to me and I have a dog. And every single day, if I allow them to, they teach me something. So that's that good, wholesome upbringing on a farm. So true. I mean, as you're talking about that, I'm thinking about what were some of the lessons I learned by, because we didn't have cattle. It was just like a, you know, a football field, like I said. And I learned for me, it was about just being okay with myself right? Like I didn't have a lot of friends around. So I like had to really fall in love with just me, you know, and right. just okay with just being with me because I, my brother, it's just my brother and I. And, um, and then the other thing about it was that oh, we took in, we took in stray dogs, uh, any dog that showed up. And I'm realizing like how maybe sometimes in my life I've taken in some strays, uh, but how, but loving those strays, I guess is what I would say. I'm just trying to think of what what those lessons taught me and the appreciation, like you said, for nature. I, I don't live in San Diego anymore, but I know that one of my non-negotiables every single day, one of my code of conduct is to appreciate something in nature. And I wake up and I see the red rocks and I'm like, yes, it's a beautiful day. Or I go outside and let the flowers or whatever that it might be, or the smell of the rain from last night, what all, all of those things. And I think that you really, um, and you've always done that. And I think that sounds like also that, you know, you had to hunker down, right. At times that there were times and you had to work hard and then you could rest, like you said. And I right. think that, like that season that you talk about interesting about your, um, about Marriott. I mean, since now Marriott's gobbling up every hotel, I think in the world with regards to what were some, I do love some principles that I've always learned at the Marriott, which were the, the, the three foot rule when you get within somebody, right. That you acknowledge them in some way. What did you, how did you end up with Marriott and what, what were some of the lessons you learned by doing that? Well, the company I worked with prior to Marriott purchasing them was the residence in company and Marriott had the, the, the brand, they branded the Fairfield and the residence in and the bigger hotels and some of the resorts and whatnot. And so I was part of an acu acu acquisition acquisition. Accusation. 
<laughs> and um, so I, I think working with Marriott, it, it was interesting because when I worked at Residence Inn, we were looking for franchisees and we were kind of trying to figure out all the time how to finance these deals. But Marriott had the money. And so it was a lot different experience going and having conversations with owners of land or people that we were purchasing property from when you had a checkbook and you could just write the check versus if you had to figure out how to get the financing and kind of hunt around a little bit. The other thing that Marriott taught me, I believe, is their their attention to detail and their focus on the customer experience and how important it is to develop a culture that is of service to others and appreciation for the customers that come to them and spend their hard-earned money and spend time on their properties. And they really instilled that in each of us. And it, it went all the way down to when you're picking the dirt that a hotel is going to be built on, think about the customer then, because it matters what the surroundings are, where the location is, what the experience will be like once this thing is built and people are actually being your guest. So those were some of the, the really um, important lessons. I love hearing that. I love that backstory about that. And I think that, I think that, you know, you talk about like, you always have to put yourself in the place of what would the what does the customer need, right? Like I know that when I worked for Robbins and was doing all my jobs, I would never think of anything as as the crew director or as the facilitator. I would always think of it like, okay, if I was a participant, what would I want right here? Would I want a sign here? Would I want a person here? Would I want music playing? Would I want this experience? Like you said, so it's interesting, right? We always say like, how we do anything is how we do everything. So right. some people know that about Marriott, especially since I have so many Marriott. Um, I think they still continue to do that, right? I know that I just got back from an Aloft hotel and my husband's an ambassador with Marriott and, you know, they always, they, you can text them all the time and you can prep things in advance. We're always looking about how to make it even better as well, right. experience even better. And you definitely do that. I know that culture that you've created with Kate there, that it's always been about how can we take the customer's experience or patient's experience to the next level. So what would be some of those things that you've learned from Marriott that you've put into the culture that you've created um, with your business at Evolve? Are there some certain things other that you like, you like, oh my gosh, these are, no matter what business that you're in, that these things are a must for people? Yeah, I would say probably the main one is that in our company, we don't have an organizational chart. Kate and I aren't at the top and there's people below us. That's not our philosophy. We're entrepreneurs. But I'll tell you what our organizational chart looks like. There's a circle in the middle and it's our customer, our patient, our client, whatever people call them in their particular organization. And then there's spokes off of that wheel. And each of those spokes is one of us. And it takes all of us to keep that center happy and, and um, satisfied and, and taking, taking very good care of what their needs are. And then the other thing that Marriott asked a lot, what, what can we do better? Or what do you need from us? And we do that a lot. When we have new patients come into our clinic or new people come for an experience in our clinic, we ask them what they need. We ask them how we can help them. How can we serve them? Because that's why they're here. And um, so that would be uh, some of the similar things that we did that Marriott did. And then um, Kate talked a, a little bit about it at a conference you and I were recently at together, one of your badass and beautiful um, events, where uh, we'd gone to a seminar called the Experience Economy. And so the fellow who presented that, he 
really drove home how important it is from the moment a person calls your office to the answer on the phone to when they walk in the door to when they are introduced to the person who's going to be working with them until they're leaving discharged in our case or leaving and maybe needing to come back or send a family member back. What's that experience like for them all along the way? Were they taken care of? Did they feel served? Did they feel like they were educated in some way? Was the environment a safe place for them to thrive and get better and really get past whatever it is they're here for us to, to, to see them for? Oh my God. I love that. I'm just, I, that was, that is so beautiful. Like what does the customer really need and that everybody else's spokes with, um, out of that. And so for you, what's been one of the coolest stories, like of somebody that's come into the practice and they're like, Oh my God, I can't believe this amazing experience. Do you have a story about, I know you have a lot of stories. I know you have to deal with a lot of high profile people and everybody to the, you know, the soccer mama and um, retired athletes and what would be, do you remember like one specific story that really stands out that someone had either not had a great experience and they came in there and they were like, oh my gosh, like, I can't believe how amazing this is. There's so many, but uh, one particular that I remember, it was, oh, several years ago, uh, mom called our office and she'd been to many different doctors and physical therapists and her son had a really perplexing knee challenge he was a great athlete. He wanted to go and play baseball in college, and potentially he was good enough to one day maybe be um, in, get into the um, minor leagues, if not the major leagues. And all the doctors and providers that she'd gone to before the phone call to us told her that the solution to her son's knee challenge was for him not to be an athlete any longer. And I said, no, that's not the answer. And I talked to her for a little bit and I said, come, come see Kate. And we've developed this technology. We, Kate and I invented a uh, treatment method called the on-track brace. And I think this can help him. And so he came and his mom drove him for two hours each way, three times a week for eight weeks until we got him back in good shape with his knee. And he went on to successfully participate in the rest of his high school degree. And then he was recruited by major colleges to go play um, baseball in their school. And he got a full ride scholarship somewhere. So our commitment to do whatever it takes to help people achieve what their intentions are in their life, it, it's, um, it's so fulfilling. And it, it, um, it's why our feet hit the ground every day. We don't show up here and address people as a knee or a shoulder walking in the door. We address people as a human being walking in the door that needs our help in some way, shape or form so they can thrive in their own lives. So that'd be one example. Yeah, well, you know, I think that that's why I sent Quinn to you. You know, I could have sent him to every, we went to a couple places here and I was like, okay, they're taking care of the things of what was going on with his knee, but he wasn't getting, um, I don't know. I think he still didn't have that confidence. Was was he going to be okay? Are things really going to get better? So for me, I was like, well, I know where to go. I know where to send him. And it was, you know, it wasn't every week, but it was once a month I committed to send him down there. And you guys took such good care of him. And you know, he tore his meniscus and it gave up the, um, you know, gave up lacrosse. But he, I think you guys were part of his discovery process too, mm-hmm. uh, where he really wanted to go with it, whether or not he stayed in lacrosse or not. And mm-hmm. uh, so, much. so what, what is it? I mean, I don't know if you guys can hear her, but you can hear in her voice, this certainty. Um, you've always had that certainty, I feel. 
that, that you know, even when all, all the crap that you went through, you know, and you can share a little bit about that, but what do you think, it all really comes down to belief. Like what, right. what is for you that belief that you've had, obviously since a very young age, about that, I got this and I can handle this. Cause I think a lot of people feel like I'm not this, I'm not that. What, what has happened to you to build that belief and keep that belief, that faith going in whatever it is, whether it be, you know, getting the scholarship or working for Mar Marriott or residence in or going deciding you have the belief to just drive by and apply to the Harvard business school. And then to, you know, snap savers, which of course I have a gazillion of what, <laughs> What is it that gave you or creating some of those um, things that you and Kate have created? What's, what, what, what is it? What is it that's giving you that belief? Well, I can, I can speak for myself. And I think for me, I, I, things, I, I, I walk through life with this belief that everything always works out for me. And there are times I've been in the middle of the storm. And I think those storms are necessary for us to kind of have this metaphorical foundation that proves to us that regardless of what shows up in our life, if we can look at it as it was meant to be, the universe doesn't make any mistakes. And regardless of how shitty it might feel in the moment, it's truly a gift. And um, the other thing for me is, I it's hard to explain, but since I've been a really, really young girl, I always had this close connection with my inner self. It's like my little inner self is this just little badass. And she gives me good advice and she keeps my ass in the saddle. And she's always the one that's encouraging me to, you know, stay, stay strong in my beliefs and have the thoughts to imagine my life today, how I want it to be tomorrow, and then allow myself to step into that experience. It's kind of like it's already there. Just know that you may not experience it today, but it's out there waiting for you and you can believe that. And when you're ready, when you're ready from the inside out, you will step into that and experience it. And I think too, the other thing that helped me is from a really, really, really young age, I'm talking five, six years old, out of necessity, I was given a lot of responsibility. And I sat on tractors for, 12, 14, 16 hours a day, all by myself. And my feet couldn't even touch the gears to turn the tractor around. So my dad would rig it up so our feet could touch the, the um, turning brakes and whatnot. And knowing that I was a necessary cog in the wheel for our family to put food on our tables at a very young age taught me to believe in myself and know that the contribution that I made, not only to my family, but that I would eventually make in the world was important because it's all part of what makes this whole system work and evolve and, and balance out over time. I feel like in, a, in so many ways now, I know why I'm so drawn to you and I always have been. You know, mine wasn't working on the farm, but my mom, we would go to the flea market every Saturday and Sunday. And I was responsible, no matter how cold it was outside, to pack up those boxes, unpack those boxes, and the money that that we made. My mom told us each week what that money was going to go towards. Yeah, going to go towards you know the school that they were sending us to, or clothes for the winter, right? Like that. And, and she's like, "If you you got to show up, right? You got to show up because the family needs you." And I, I agree with you like that, that, and it gives you that sense of like, okay, they trust me too. I think it gives you another sense of like that you're, 
you're trusted like that you're part of that wheel but you're also like that they trust you to know that you're going to do the job and they don't go oh you're too young or you're, you're not going to be able to figure out you know just this week you know asher i was saying to her you go with your homework she says i don't i don't want you to help me with my homework mom i want to do it i want to i want to do it on my own you know i want to i want to and that that sense of pride and i was at first i was like okay you you got it i know you got it sister you know and then we went and checked her grades and some of her grades weren't so great and i'm like okay asher you gotta step it up and she's like here and she hands me her phone she literally handed me her phone i didn't ask for her phone she took it and she goes here she goes just take it and she goes i need to you know i need to not have it now and i'm like wow okay she gets it she knows what it was she knows that it, that was what was throwing her off track if right and um so that's let's talk a little bit about responsibility and what you see what you've seen you know in maybe in the business world and then what you you know what we can do to help people you know step it up a little bit um in their lives and how to help people have that sense of ownership because i know for you as well a big thing for me is you know earning it i want to earn it i don't want it just to be given to me could you share a little bit about that yeah i think that's the other great thing about being raised where i was and by whom i was raised i um having had that much responsibility at such a young age also taught me it was a it was a journey of self-discovery so young which i'm so glad i was able to start that at that age is that ultimately the only one responsible and accountable for what my life looks like and feels like is me and it comes from the choices i make and I can choose to be a victim of my upbringing and that my dad was kind of rough around the edges and that my mom had to work and we were kind of left alone in big fields with big pieces of equipment for hours on end uh, and, and have that past give me reason to make excuses for what my present day life looks like. Or I can look at that and I go, you know what, without those experiences, without a past like that, without having uh, parents like that, I wouldn't today be able to take accountability for my actions like I do. I truly believe that one of the things I observe in the world today that where we're getting tripped up a little bit is individuals aren't willing to be responsible and take accountability for their actions and their choices. Because I'm a believer in every single choice I've made up until this point in my life has shown up as to what my life looks like and feels like today. And it's going to be the same moving forward. So I get to choose my way to creating a life that I love. And the great news is we get to choose. We get to choose the meaning that we give to the events that happen to our, in our lives, regardless of how um, the human condition might have us want to believe how awful they were. We get to choose what meaning we're going to give to that. And that if we're going to be responsible and accountable for our thoughts and our beliefs around that event to create the life that we want to live. I'm like, I'm, I don't know if you can see me over here just amening everything that you're saying, right? And I think that's, and that's where that growth happens. Like I look back and everybody's like, you know, when I, sometimes when I go home, I was feeling this feeling like in the, in the past, I used to be like, oh my gosh, like, oh, that experience or, you know, growing up where I did, it was not so fun, honestly, being a little Jewish girl in the South. <laughs> you know, we're parts of our town. There were parts of our towns, no blacks, no Jews, no you know, no gay people, no Chinese, you can't live in certain parts of our town. So I used to get this feeling like when I would go back there, it was my story. I'd be like, oh, and I get this like heavy feeling. And now I'm like, look, 
I'm afraid to come back and be the mayor of Asheville, right? Like, it's like this part, like I just have to, but I'm like, but that's that strength inside me to um, go, that's not going to stop me. Those experiences aren't going to stop me from moving forward and doing good in the world and helping those around me. And I love what you said. I mean, we have to take responsibilities for our decisions. I love it just our decisions, right? Like I can't be responsible. Ultimately, you make the de- you make the decision. I think, right? Like it's so easy to blame, shame, and justify. Um, and maybe you could talk a little bit about that because I think that's really what you talk about with regards to lines in the sand. Wouldn't you say that that's what it's about? Yeah, lines in the sand is how lines in the sand came about. Just so that our listeners know, is in a handful of years ago, in 2007, my house burned to the ground, and at the same time. The relationship that I'd been in for 12 years, 10 of which were too long, and I knew that, was going up in flames. And one of the companies, the food storage container company that I was a founder of, was in a major lawsuit with a patent infringement situation. And my dad had died all at the same time. All those things were were happening. And so I went through the process of building a house from the ground up, which was never on my list of things to do, but I learned a ton from it. And I'll never forget moving into my house once it was constructed. I didn't have any flooring because I had a challenge with one of the vendors, the flooring vendor. And so I chose to move into my house without flooring. And so I went to Target and I got an air mattress and I got some sheets and I blew up my air mattress and I decided which room in the house that I was gonna feel comfortable in. And I sat on the edge of my bed and I leaned over and I put my elbows on my knees and I said, Annie, you have to get your shit together. And so I lived in that house for an entire year with nothing in it. I chose to bring no distraction into it other than some books that were helping me and and the necessities. And I went on a lot of walks and I had a lot of conversations with people that I trusted and I did a lot of writing. And that's when I came up with those 10 lines in the sand. And I said, from this point forward in my life, These are the tenets for which I will move forward in my life and live my life in order to create a life that serves me and serves others and that is authentic because I think that's what was missing for me at that point in time. I was in a relationship with, um, I chose to be in a relationship with a person who wasn't a good person. And so I kicked my authentic self to the curb because I didn't feel worthy to be in this relationship with this person. And there's a lot to all that, a lot of dynamics to all of that. But um, lines in the sand is really about taking any mask off, letting go of anything from the past, not concerning yourself too much with the future and having the courage to be vulnerable and live in the moment as who you truly are from the inside out. And so that's what it's about. And that's that's the redesign I had to go through in my own life because I I strayed pretty far from that for a while. And I knew it because I didn't feel in alignment. I hear you, you know, and I think for me, my big thing was I was a pleaser, you know, always like, what can I do for you? How can I help with this? And I would do it for everybody. And my whole thing happened was mine became about staying true, like staying true to myself, right? Mm-hmm. And and I started to ask myself that question. Every decision was when I'm, if I make this decision, am I staying true to myself, right? If I make this decision and it it's kind of, it was, became my moral compass, I would say, you right. know, am I doing that? And you know what? There are times, even recently, I knew, even though like I wanted to, you know, like I was like, oh no, well, I guess I'm staying true. And I like sometimes justify it, right? Because I wanted to help somebody or um, I don't know, or, or whatever that it might be for me. So 
your so those that's kind of like your code of conduct, your um your ten commandments for yourself with regards to those lines and sands. So where would you help somebody get started on that? Is there a question that you ask yourself? Like mine is, am I staying true to myself? Like for you, what is the question that you ask yourself to help you find out what it, what are your lines in the sand? Because everybody's lines in the sands, I think, probably are different. Right. Well, I think, and, and you've answered this for yourself, obviously. The first question I would ask people is, what are your what are your top values in your life? And I define a value as what means the most to you in life. And until we have clarity around that, until we have an understanding from our inside out, from our, our true essence of what the answer to that is, I think we flail around a little bit. So for example, my top three values are number one is um, integrity. Number two is appreciation. And number three is abundance, not just financial abundance, but abundance in health and friendship and relationship and how I'm serving others and whatnot. And so every time I choose to enter into a relationship, whether it's a business relationship, a personal relationship or a situation, it's so easy to ask myself, okay, Annie, if you enter into this situation, is it going to be enveloped with integrity from every direction? Is it going to give, hold the value of appreciation, your appreciation, the other person has appreciation and all the constituents involved in, are going to come from a place of appreciation. And three, is it going to have abundance as a component to it? Will everyone involved in this thrive? And if the answer to even one of those is no, I don't go there. And it's such an easy tool for me to use because it really keeps me out of the ditch. It's like a GPS system. So once a person has determined what's most important to them in life, then it's really easy to ask, is this keeping me in alignment with those top one or two or three values? And it, the answer is pretty simple. It's either yes or no, it's pretty cut and dried. So it, it kind of allows you not to make excuses if you're willing to hold that integrity and hold your own feet to the fire and stay true to yourself, you won't, you won't veer off into dangerous territory. And I love that what you said, because I think it's also the order the order like that you did it in because I know for me like um if I were to look at mine lots of times I went towards the abundance something oh my gosh everybody's gonna do great and we're gonna help the millions of people and we're gonna do this and we're gonna do that and I put that value at times instead I, I like how you do it more like in this kind of sequence right they talk about the syntax or the ingredients right like, you can bake a cake but if you don't put the everything in the right order then you're not gonna have a cake right, right. And so I love how you just kind of flowed into that with regards to your question, because I look and um, I think that sometimes it's just out of sequence, right? And once we get back in sequence, then we're going to make better decisions about it as well. Because I mean, even me, and I've been in this environment for 30 years, and sometimes like I haven't kept that sequence in the, in the right order. Because right. right. And that's why integrity is my top value, because I've come to the place where for me, I have to tell the truth about life. And it's raw and it's real and it's not comfortable sometimes. But unless I live up to that integrity value, I'm I'm building I'm building a foundation that's on sand and it's not going to withstand everything else that I layer up on top of it. So that's it's kind of my theme, if you will, or my code of conduct. My um, motto is always tell the truth about life regardless of how it makes you feel or someone else feel or whatever anybody else thinks about it or all the other things that the human condition can be 
attacked with, that's it for me. And you know your intention is good about that, right? It's to you know also raise the raise the raise the standard. You know that you're you're not you're not going to be you don't give a shit, I guess, a little bit about like what people think is you know that you're staying true to yourself with regards to that. You know, the thing that attracted me to my husband Zohar was that it, or it were his values, right? I mean, I didn't at all think that, you know, that that like I had this like whole vision of like, I was going to like meet a guy who's going to love football and personal development and want to go do outdoor, go do parties with my friends and like blah, blah, blah. I have a like healthy lifestyle. And I met him and he was, you know, Jameson's and you know, Jameson's and cigars and right. Like, and like was from another country and didn't love football and didn't like team sports. And like, I'm like, what, but his values, I respected his values. Like once was one of his things was a non-negotiable. He would go visit his daughter every month when she was younger, whether she liked it or not. He knew, he goes, I want her to know that she can count on me. I will be there. She might not like it. She might say, Oh, just go dad, go sit in a hotel room, but I will be there. Because I don't know that I showed up, right? And so I, for me, it was a big thing that I really respected his integrity of just who he was and what he knew he was and what he stood for. And nothing, nothing would take him off course with regards to that. So, right? Um, right? Like, I think that's really what we're talking about as well with regards to that. Yeah, I think in relationships like you're speaking about, I, I think the reason that the divorce rate in our country is at least 50% in some numbers, they say it's 60% is because we're not willing to resource asking ourselves that question before we enter into a relationship. If we don't know what our own are and we don't have the discussion with the potential personal that we think we wanna spend the rest of our life with is, hey, what's most important to you in life? Man, we are certainly driving without a map <laughs> or a GPS system of any sort, but if you have, if you have the discipline to have those really foundational conversations in the get-go, I think it goes a long way towards helping you evolve over time as um, partners because it's not, you know, relationships aren't smooth sailing all the time. There's, it can be 40 miles of rough road sometimes and you have to decide how you're gonna navigate through some of those challenging times together. And I think if you have a values-based relationship and you're really clear with one another and what's most important to you, it makes that that journey much smoother. Yeah, and I look at like even like relationships, you know, that I have with friends. Like I look at the ones that have really stood the test of time, right? Like my one friend, I haven't seen her in my, my, my college roommate. I haven't seen her in 30 plus years. And we I just saw her in Atlanta and we went to dinner afterwards and she goes, Lauren, think about it. We haven't seen each other in forever. But what was interesting is think about this. And she was, she was like, I didn't realize what a badass she was at like 18 year, years old. Like she was very like, all right, like we were, it was cool. Like how we were, we were very opposite. I remember that I came to school with a, a black garbage bag with like um, all my stuff was in there. You know, I'm wearing jeans and boots and, and I'm like uh, carrying my leopard's leopard print like uh bedding and here's <laughs> bows and like she's straight out of laura ashley but she was thinking but we had an awesome relationship and she said think about lauren we were together for nine months that's all that your freshman year of college is nine months but how we supported each other she supported me through the loss of two of my friends right she and just that we had our values were so aligned even though our lives were so different right mm -hmm. 
how that has stood the test. Same thing with you and Kate and um, Jane. And you know, I could go on and on about those friends that have stood the test of time. And, um, and then also that some people just come into your life for a season, right? Like, how do you, I hate to say this, but um, those people that maybe like try to um, insert themselves, but don't align with your values, how do you deal with that? Well, I think the other thing for me that's useful, and I, this is a, another thing that's in eight, and it's a gift um, that I'm grateful for every single day, is I have a pretty strong um, gut, and it's, it's really energy-driven. People's energy affect me one way or another. And um, I think if we're willing to vibrate at a really high energy that is positive and it leaves an imprint on a cellular level in our body of what's most important to us, I can feel that in a person. I, I have a, a fairly good bullshit detector. So someone can say something to me, but I watch what they do. And someone can um, remark about something and it's really their actions that I pay attention to. And I pay attention to how I feel on a gut level when I'm around them. And so that's, that's really useful for me. The people that don't have that um, innate within them, I would suggest that they start to just hone that skill. Pay attention. Pay attention to when you're around a person or in a situation where you feel really good and you feel really energized and you feel really positive and, and you feel like you're, you're learning something and you're making a contribution, who is that? What's the situation? What's the environment? What's the conversation? What are the colors and the smells and the textures and all those kinds of things? And then pay attention to when a person or you're in a situation, you can just, you, I can feel it. It just, the energy goes sucks right out of me. I hear you. What is it? Yeah. What's the profile of that situation? But you know, it's funny because as you know, at the Badass and Beautiful event, I bring in my friend Paul who teaches people about awareness and most people just aren't aware, right? They just will, they, they don't like, and I'm so now used to just scanning a room and scanning the energy literally of the room. <laughs> I'm kind of obnoxious about this. I'm Asher, if we do a healthy Halloween party every year. And last year when I did the party, there was just, God bless some of these moms, you know, I, the energy was heavy. And some of these moms that were staying around, it was just heavy. And as they were, you know, were leaving, the minute that they left the house, I was like saging the house and, you know, and Asher turned to me, she goes, mom, I felt that too, you know? And I go, what did you feel, Asher? She was like, you know, they were over there in that corner and they were complaining and they were like doing this and that. And mom, we don't need that in our house. Like we don't need that energy. And so like teaching your kids, you know, to really be aware of those, of those situations. But let me ask you a question. I want to share something first, though, before I do that. You know one of the coolest moments I've had in the last three months? And it was with you. I don't even know if you remember. I don't know. Tell me. San Diego in the bathroom. And you were sitting there waiting before we started the event. We were at okay. the ranch. And I went to the restroom. And I came back out. And that hug, I don't know if you remember, that that hug that we had was, like, electric. I could right. just, couldn't you just feel, I don't know, maybe it was just me. Wow. Um, I could just feel it and I could feel this electric, like it almost feel your energy come through me. And I felt like it was coming, you know, like our energies were, what's that movie? There was like a movie, like where you saw the energy go from one person into the other person and you saw that. Was it ghost? Was it ghost with Patrick Swayze? And um, was that it? 
I could literally feel this white light come through me right. into you. And I felt like the energy, like just, I don't feel that very, you know, often. But then that's when I knew again, I was like, oh gosh, Lauren, that's the energy. That's the vibration that really lights you up. You know what I mean? Like that's the energy that keeps you going. So those people that might have people around them that maybe are very close in their proximity, they feel like it might be family or it might be friends that are just by, um, by association that they feel like, oh my gosh, but I can't just like totally push it out. They might feel that way where they can, right? But mm -hmm. what would you say to them that two or three things that they can do to just start to um, reclaim, reclaim, reclaim their power? What would be some things to do where they don't feel like they're, um, oh my gosh, they're going to hate me or they're going to never like me again. What would you say? Well, I think that comes up less and less the more comfortable we get with who we are. So that's that authenticity piece. Who are you really? And that's that takes time. And that takes a lot of time being willing to sit in a room by yourself and kind of having a board meeting with you, Inc., asking and answering important questions that help you disseminate and determine what is important to you, what kind of energy is necessary for you to surround yourself with. And so getting, getting clarity about that is number one. The other thing is in those situations, I often will either slowly spend less and less time with the person and then it just kind of fizzles out or if I've known them for a long time or I feel like they're, it's important to have a conversation with them, I will say something like, you know, Lauren, here's what I can do and here's what I can provide and here's how I can show up in our relationship. I'm willing to do this and this and this. So that's the great news. Here are some of the things I, I'm not willing to do and I'm going to tell you why I'm not willing to do them. I spend a lot of time determining what's important to me in life and what things are going to feed that and what things are going to take away from that and the things that feed it i'm going to continue to do and the things that don't i'm not going to do any longer and so that's why i'm going to not be able to do this three or four things with you any longer i respect and honor our relationship and i hope that you're willing to maybe have a look at some of the things likewise for yourself and that you can respect and honor the relationship that i'm willing to have with you moving forward i love and you know what that's the best like that's that it's almost like when you even talk say that and i think that, like you said like having that meeting with you ink and like doing that in the mirror over and over again even practicing that right like practicing that and but I, it's almost like when you were saying that i don't know if you anybody else felt it but for me it felt like you're you grew roots when you said it right like right. the importance of physiology and just like owning it and owning your owning your truth and owning your strength i always say that to people stand tall, stand proud. Like whenever you're going to do something and, and you need to have that tough conversation or whatever that is, like, like you could hear it through your voice. Well, you know, that like, I got this. Like you got that feeling of, I got this. Well, this has been amazing. Last couple things that I want to ask you because I have lots of notes. What drives you today? What drives you? You know, what drives me today is helping others um, learn from some of my past experiences and that's why I wrote my book. I wanted people to, if in some way, shape, or form, they could get any value out of reading what I'd gone through and the, the pathway I took to redesign my life and into, I love my life. 
I pinch myself every flipping day. My life is so good and I'm so fulfilled and it's so thriving. And I, I've surrounded myself with really good people and, and I'm in an environment that, that just helps me grow. And I think the other thing that really drives me is I'm really curious and interested in a deeper level of self-discovery. What else is in here? What else can I learn about myself? What else don't I know yet that I'm going to learn about who I am and why I'm here and how I can help others as a result of going on that journey of figuring myself out? Um, girl, I, I'm like amen in you over here with regards to that. You know, I think that it's funny with like we we there's a quote I might have mentioned this before, but it's I'm not on another podcast, but I say you know at the end of my life. I hope that I'll just slide on into heaven because I'll know that God used every bit of talent that she gave me, right? Yeah. I'll just slide on in there because people go, how, you know, like what? I'm like, I got to like explore all these parts of me, you know, and I don't know about you, but I feel like I've only used like this, this. No, I know. Yeah. Tiny, tiny, tiny bit. So you have gotten really real with everybody. What are some of the things that you do just like, even though you've gone through it now, but just maybe the last comments for people about what are some of the things that you do to stay true to yourself? Well, a couple of things, and thanks for asking that question, because I think it's important for all of us to ask it of ourselves. First thing is, I, I have personal rituals that are non-negotiables, like you said your husband said. In the morning, I have a ritual that I go through. It's not a routine, because there's a distinction for me between a ritual and a routine. I think routines, to a certain degree, are good. Rituals are, for me, those things that it's just, it's just on a spiritual and cellular level that's important for me to have at least an hour of quiet time to myself. Whether I sit in quiet meditation or I read something that's inspiring or I spend time in my journal. And then the other thing is I take time once I'm done with that to really take care of my body. I wanna, I wanna start my body out by hydrating it and making sure that if, if I'm on some kind of a supplemental routine or some kind of a nourishment um, ritual that works for me to take care of myself, that I, I, I stay true to that and I follow it. And then throughout the day, I usually start my day with some, um, some word like your I am cards, I have my Beatitudes cards, but I, a theme for the day. What do I want today to be about? And I check in with that often. Okay, if it's, um, if it's being captivating, Throughout the day, I check in and I ask myself the question, well, what was captivating about that? Or how was that captivating for you? That's just an example. So I, I spend time very um, intentional on that tone that I've set for the day. And then always at the end of the day, I allow myself that same routine to quiet myself down. I've recorded with my own voice, um, meditations, if you will, or words, because how we go to bed, our brain captures that and sends it right to our subconscious. And so the last thing we hear before we close our eyes and go into those real deep states of sleep, that's when our subconscious gets to work. And it's working like a mofo for us while we're sleeping. And so I want to feed it good stuff to work on while I'm resting my body. So then when I wake up the next day, I've had all these little soldiers working on my behalf all night. And so I wake up in a good state as well. Those would be some of the things I would say. Now you know why I love it. And I think that, like you said, like when you have that word of the day, that what it does, it allows you to kind of um, explore all the different parts of you. 
you know, explore all these things like you with your cards, like with regards to you know, the brave or the this or the, you know, like today my card was I am enough, right? Yep. Big one. That's a big one, right? And I, I probably don't choose that one enough. <laughs> because, right, because we're always like doing more, but, you know, but I love it. I love that, like you said, there was a big distinction between um, rituals and, you know, like routines, if you would. And like you said, it's more on a spiritual level. It's who you are. It's your essence of you. Right. I love the essence of you. I want to just squeeze you through the phone. And just, I need to spend more time with you. I'm going to calendar people in, right? Because I think that, you know, life just, life gets, life gets busy. Um, and I just, I'm so proud of you. I'm, I'm honestly honored to have you in my life. What's the title of your book? So we can make sure to feature that when they, and, um, and how can people get a hold of you? Uh, thank you so much for asking. It's called Keep Your Ass in the Saddle. And that, that term really to me, because I ride horses, if you don't have your fanny squarely planted in a saddle and have a good seat when you're riding a horse, they know it and you know it because the ride gets a little rough. And it's the same as staying home. Come, always come back to yourself. That's your, your version is stay true. It's really embrace and honor and stand shoulder to shoulder with who you are from the inside out. That's what, that's what it means, yeah. I love you. I adore you. And they can find you. How can they find you? Uh, you can go to my website, which is meetmeatthebarn.com. I'll send that along to you, Lauren, if you would like that. And um, also, I'll send along to you um, an email address if people have questions that they can uh, follow up with me on. Awesome. Well, thank you, Annie. And I look forward to seeing you soon. Thanks so much. Love you, kiddo. Are you ready to start 2020 strong? Go to laurenlahav.com. That's L-O-R-E-N-L-A-H-A-V.com and learn more about Lauren's manifestation course. Use code STAYTRUE for your podcast subscriber discount.